If you've got a Bible and you want to turn to Luke chapter 23, I'd encourage you to do that. Luke 23. We're going to look at this account from several of the Gospels, but the majority of what we're going to study comes from this chapter. It is really good to be together on a day like today. And it's not lost on me how important this day is to our faith. It's good that we get together to remember with joy. And I hope there's joy in our hearts today. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Think about it. There may be no other event in the course of human history that has been more debated and more discussed, more disagreed on, maybe. But I don't think there's any other event in human history that holds as much weight as the resurrection does. So that makes sense. Paul says that the whole Christian faith hinges on the resurrection. That's a big deal. This is an important day that we celebrate. Paul says that if if Jesus had not been raised, then Christian, what you believe in is a waste of time. Your faith is worthless and your devotion to God means nothing if Christ didn't raise from the dead. So it's good that we gather together to celebrate on Easter. But even in doing so, unfortunately and inevitably, many people still get it wrong. We still get Easter wrong. Now, sure, I'm to some degree, I'm talking about too much Easter candy and Easter egg hunts and all of the commercialized aspect, aspect of Easter. But I think we can get it wrong in another way. If we're not careful, Easter can come and go and not make much of a difference in our day-to-day life at all. The crux of Christianity can just pass us by and not make a difference. It, It doesn't stir in our hearts at all. If we're not seeing it properly, then it can mean very little. So we have to be intentional about why we celebrate Easter and what we celebrate on Easter. Now imagine just for a moment... If you will, imagine that you are one of Jesus' closest followers. Okay? Maybe one of the twelve. There were several women who followed Jesus around pretty tightly as well. You've been following Jesus around down these long, dusty roads from town to town, village to village, home to home. What kinds of things have you seen while following Jesus around? You could name a bunch. Let me... Just walk through some of them. You saw him turn water into wine. You saw him made lame people walk. You saw him cast demons out of people. You saw him make blind people to see. You saw him make sick people well. Lonely people he connected. Hurting people healed. Spiritually dirty people were washed clean. He even forgave sins. You've witnessed some of the most incredible things that the world had ever seen or heard of at the time. And you would think that that would be enough to get Jesus right, to understand enough to get it right. But it didn't go that way for most of Jesus' followers, did it? Now, to their credit, there were a few ladies who weren't going to stop some Roman soldiers at the tomb, keep them from doing what they wanted to do. Jesus' closest buddies were hiding, specifically Peter. We've been working through the book of First Peter. We can't leave him out of this narrative either. Three times he denied Jesus right before his death. Right after he said he would never do that kind of a thing. He denied him. Judas didn't get it either, did he? Sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, delivered him over to death, and then killed himself. 
Jesus' friends really didn't understand until after they saw Jesus risen from the dead. Really not even after until, as Luke 24 says, that he opened his their minds to understand the scriptures. As they were kind of walking along the path with him, they didn't even recognize him. It's so easy to get Easter wrong, but there was somebody that I just want to point out from our little book Easter booklet today. There was somebody that got it right. Page 18 in your Easter stories book. The snake crusher is crushed for us. Jesus knew he was going to die and that it was going to be no ordinary death. We call the day he died Good Friday, and it was good, very good, amazingly good. We would say it was unbelievably good, except that it happened, and we should believe it. Jesus suffered so that we can be set free. Jesus died so that we can live forever. Jesus was the good shepherd laying down his life for his sheep. That's why we call it Good Friday. But for anyone who loved Jesus, that Friday seemed anything but good. It must have seemed to the disciples like Sad Friday or Tragic Friday or the worst Friday in the history of the world. As soon as it was morning, the Jewish leaders bound Jesus and delivered him to Pilate. Pilate was the Roman ruler in that region. He was the one who would decide whether Jesus lived or died, even though he could only do what God had already planned. Pilate wasn't convinced Jesus had done anything wrong. He wanted to release Jesus and be done with him. But Pilate was more concerned about people liking him than doing the right thing. So he gave the crowd in Jerusalem an option. I'll release one prisoner, this murderer Barabbas, or the king of the Jews. Who should I release? They chose Barabbas instead of Jesus. Well, then what shall I do with Jesus? Pilate asked. Crucify him. They shouted. So the soldiers took Jesus and led him away. They clothed him in a purple robe and gave him a crown of thorns. They pretended to worship Jesus, but it was all a joke. They struck him on the head and spat on him. If you could have seen Jesus being led to his death that afternoon, everything would have looked upside down. Here was the maker of all things too weak to carry his cross. Here was the loving king killed between two thieves. Here was God's beloved son, mocked and mistreated by anyone and everyone. But there he was, Jesus the Christ, hanging from a cross. The sky went black because it was a day of judgment, and Jesus cried out to heaven for help. But this was a time to feel the curse of the law, not the smile of God. Jesus had become sin for us, He breathed his last and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. The disciples were scared and confused. The world was dark and sad. Everything seemed wrong. But one Roman soldier at the foot of the cross got it right. Truly, he said, this man was the son of God. And if Jesus was the son of God, maybe that breath was not the last word. From Jesus. This is what it sounds like in the Gospels, Matthew twenty seven, fifty four, when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly this was the Son of God. Mark 15, verse 39. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in his way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. 
Luke 23:47. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, certainly this man was innocent. What, what would cause this guy, a Roman soldier, to make these kinds of remarks? It's recorded differently in these three Gospels because these guys had different perspectives and personalities and they heard different things in that regard. But they all capture the same idea. Think about what this guy had, had seen with his eyes before, this Roman centurion. Surely this was not his first crucifixion. He'd seen people hung on a cross, nailed to it, stood up into the air. What would cause possibly an otherwise hardened Roman soldier to, to make remarks like this? This man is the son of God. This man was innocent. He would have been basically defying Pilate, all those in authority over him, to say this guy was innocent? How did this Roman soldier get it right when many of Jesus' closest friends seemed to get it wrong? I think maybe the answer could lie in what this man witnessed, heard, and saw on the cross. Jesus on the cross. And so I want to just consider a few of the things that happened as Jesus was on the cross. After the torture, after the beatings, after the mockery, after the reviling, what did Jesus do? What did he say? Luke twenty three thirty four. In one of his final breaths, Jesus said this, Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Can you imagine being there and seeing everything that had happened to Jesus leading up to the cross, leading up to that point, and then hearing one of his final sentences be, Forgive them? How could this man, this man upon whom shame and reproach and suffering and excruciating pain had been inflicted upon, how could this man ask God to forgive the people who had just done that to him? Why wasn't he thinking about himself, about his own pain, about his own misery, about his own impending death? What kind of person thinks about their captor's eternal standing before God while bleeding and suffering to death because of what they just done to him. This is what the Roman soldier is faced with. He's witnessing these things. He's seeing it. He's seeing Jesus' concern was for others' forgiveness, not his own escape. Peter's been explaining in First Peter, the book we've been going through, how Jesus' response to unjust suffering caused people, even someone like this Roman soldier, to stop in their tracks and ask some questions. If Jesus didn't have the soldier's attention before, I bet he had it now. But the mockery and the derision continued. The soldiers cast lot for Jesus' clothes, which wasn't much to begin with. They mocked him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one, he said, if you are the king of the Jews, come down from the cross. There were two other guys that were crucified the same day, remember? On either side of Jesus. They, at least in the start, probably both joined in the, the mockery. Luke says that one of them echoed the jeers of the people. And this, this man hanging next to Jesus, feet and hands nailed to the, the tree, saying the same thing. Are you not the Christ? 
Save yourself and us. This was not a repentant heart. This was someone who just wanted freedom from this kind of death. His motives were evident, I think, by his words and by the tone of his comments. Save us. Get get us down from here. He wasn't necessarily convinced that Jesus was who he claimed to be. He just wanted somebody to save him. But the other thief, we're told, possibly had a change of heart. He saw the response or what had happened to Jesus that day, and his response was this. He said to the other guy, he said, look, we're receiving what we deserve. What's happening to us is justice, but not him. This guy is innocent. He's done nothing wrong. And then he turns to Jesus, and you remember his words to Jesus. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me, he says. If we wanted to add another person to the list of people who got it right, you could add that guy to the list, that thief on the cross. He saw Jesus in the light of this moment, and he saw the truth. He saw who Jesus really was, just like the centurion did. And he also saw the comparison to himself, right? He said, I deserve what's happening to me. But he doesn't. He was innocent. Incredibly, Jesus, in again, some of his final breaths, spoke to this man, this criminal. And he didn't just meet his expectations, right? The guy said, remember me when you come into the kingdom. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. But Jesus didn't just meet his his response. He surpassed it. He went beyond for this guy. He said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The thief had some maybe distant time in mind, whatever his theology was at the time. But it seems like he had some distant time in mind when he asked Jesus to remember him. But Jesus said, I will. I'm going to remember you today. You're going to be with me today. And that's what he told him. He said, you know, just remember me is all he asked for. But Jesus said, no, you're going to be with me. The thief looked only for a kingdom, but Jesus promised him so much more. He promised him paradise with him. This is really a pretty incredible exchange between two men who are in their last breath speaking to one another. In fact, it probably physically hurt Jesus to speak to this man and give him that kind of assurance. If you've heard anything of a crucifixion, every exhalation, every breath out was closer and closer to death, more and more physical pain as the body sank down by exhaustion and Since when you speak, you exhale, right? The words that Jesus would have said to this guy would have been particularly difficult. So not only has Jesus asked God's forgiveness on his captors, on his abusers, now he's also used some of his last and very painful breaths to comfort and assure a thief of salvation. Remember, who's watching all of this? The Roman centurion. Then the story goes that darkness fell over all of the land. The temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and rocks were split. Even some saints who were dead were raised back to life and walked around. The Roman soldiers seeing this sort of thing happen. Matthew twenty-seven fifty-four says that he responded, Truly, this man was the Son of God. The Roman soldier saw... All of creation's response to the death of its creator. 
Matthew 27 says, those who were with him, along with him, were filled with awe. They were scared. They were frightened. Commentator John Gill says that this wasn't just the kind of reverent fear that the Bible actually talks us towards as Christians. This was the fear of punishment, that divine vengeance should come down on them for their part in all of this. They were afraid. And you know what? They had good reason to be. Because it had become obvious to everyone present, this was no ordinary crucifixion. If there was such a thing as an ordinary crucifixion, this was not it. This was not going according to plan. There's earthquakes. There's people coming out of tombs. This man is asking forgiveness for these people that are abusing him. This is all strange. And the Roman soldier is seeing all of this and being affected. All of these things convinced him that something deeper Perhaps even something spiritual was happening. It's as if he was saying, there's no denying. I can't deny it anymore. Jesus must have been who he was claiming to be. This guy actually must have been the son of God. Now, we may not know until we arrive in glory if this man was truly converted as a result of seeing these things. But if he did put his faith in Christ, he came the way every person comes to faith in Christ at the cross. As a sinner. And just like the thief hanging beside Jesus believed, this man would have been saved because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. As I said, every person, think about this, every person who believes even today is saved the exact same way as that man. By believing his death was in their place for them. And this story shows how the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross began to do its work immediately. Opening up paradise for sinners. It does its work in the hearts of people, just like the thief on the cross and just like the Roman soldier who was witnessing it all. People who say, Man, I deserve what I get. I see it. Have you been there? Have you been awakened to that truth? Any judgment that falls on you, you actually deserve because of sin. It's people who say, I get, I deserve what I get, but Jesus, he didn't. He's truly the son of God. And then we say the same thing that the thief said, Lord, remember me in the kingdom. None of us here today have seen Jesus physically, but you know where we do see him? Through the pages of scripture, in what he has created, in the love we witness in the body of Christ. In our small groups, which are winding to a close, this past week we talked about Romans chapter, or I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter one. First few verses, which says that God speaks to us now through his son. It's not how it used to be. Now he speaks to us through his son, and that is enough. It's in this that we find solid ground for belief. For understanding who God is and believing. Paul says in Romans chapter 10 verse 17. He says faith comes from hearing. And hearing by the word of Christ. So the question is do you believe the same thing that the Roman soldier believed? Can you say the same thing? Truly this Jesus is the son of God. Acknowledging Christ as Lord. Turning away from sin. And placing your trust in him as savior. It sets you on a different path. And if your life is marked by 
failure and sin and Jesus comes in and changes you, you see that in a marked way. You see how he moves you away from those things, a path that was leading to destruction and darkness. He sets you on the path towards life and light. And that sort of path, that sort of change happens the moment that sinners believe. The moment that sinners confess Jesus and turn to him by faith. Paul says in Romans 8, 11, that the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you as a believer. So you might come to Jesus as a sinner, but the spirit of God moves in and changes you instantly and eternally to where you too will say, truly, this man is the son of God. And now for those who have heard and believed, it doesn't end there. And that's why we're so excited to celebrate Resurrection Sunday. Followers of Christ aren't content to just know him and know this truth and then sit on it. We're not content to just keep it to ourselves anymore at all. We burn with passion to know him more and more and better and better. Paul describes in Philippians 3.10, kind of his life's goal, he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. What a strange goal for your life. And yet this is what we are called to as Christians. When you witness things that only God can do, and you may not witness someone being possessed by a demon and having it cast out, or being able to walk after never being able to walk before, or being made to see when they couldn't see before. It may not be something like that, but you see evidence of God so many times. When you see it, how do you respond? That's cool. Or do we say, God, thank you. Truly, you are creator, God, Lord of all May the same desire that Paul talked about in Philippians 3.10 burn in our hearts as well, that we may truly know the one who loved us and freely gave himself for us. Because the story didn't end at the cross. Take your book back out. Let's continue reading. Page 26. Jesus knew he was going to die and that he wouldn't stay dead. Friday was dark and sad. Saturday was stone cold silent. But Sunday, the third day, was not just another day or another week. It was another age. A new time had begun. The biggest story had turned a page. The world would never be the same. At the break of day, Mary Magdalene and a group of women went to the tomb. They thought they would find Jesus there and put perfume on his dead body. What they found instead was a complete surprise. On the outside of the tomb, the stone had been rolled away. And on the inside of the tomb, there was no Jesus. The women wondered what this meant. But before they could think very long, two angels as bright as the sun stood by them. Why do you seek the living among the dead? They asked. Jesus is not here. He has risen just as he said. Then the women remembered that Jesus had said that he would be raised on the third day. They not understood what this meant, but now they did. The slithering serpent had not won after all. Death had been defeated. 
The wages of sin had been paid for. The long-awaited snake crusher had kept his promise, and all the promises of God would forever be kept in him. Mary and the other women ran back to tell the disciples what they had seen and heard. At first, the disciples didn't believe them. A dead man back to life? What a fairy tale, they thought. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb to see for himself whether the good news was too good to be true. When he arrived at the tomb, it was even more amazing than he had dared to hope. Peter hurried into the tomb and found nothing but grave clothes. Jesus wouldn't be needing those anymore. He wasn't dead any longer, and he wouldn't be dead ever again. In the days and weeks ahead, Jesus appeared to the disciples several times in a room along the road on the beach making breakfast. He even appeared to more than 500 of his followers at one time. God raised Jesus from the dead, and plenty of people saw him with their own two eyes. The light of the world was still shining. The bread of life was still alive. The true vine was the first fruits of a new hope. It turns out the best news in the history of the world was too good not to be true. Let me read that last line again. It turns out the best news in the history of the world was too good not to be true. This is the hope that we have. Grounded in who Jesus is, grounded in what Jesus has done, and grounded in the fact that he is no longer dead. Brothers and sisters, the fact that he has been raised from the dead not only gives us hope that the same will happen to us after we've believed and died, but also that we have hope in this life now that we serve, that we follow, that we love, not a God who still lies in the grave, but a God who's alive and active Let me close with a quote from Matthew Henry. The unusual appearances of God and his providence sometimes works strangely for the conviction and awakening of sinners. This was expressed in the terror that fell upon the centurion and the Roman soldiers. Let us with an eye of faith behold Christ and him crucified and be affected with that great love with which he loved us. Never were the horrid nature and effects of sin so tremendously displayed as on that day when the beloved Son of the Father hung upon the cross, suffering for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Let us yield ourselves willingly to his service. Have you yielded your life to him this morning? Consider that as we pray and sing a closing song. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the biggest story of Easter. Wow, God, it focuses our attention on Christ, on his sacrifice, which was necessary and effective. Lord, but also it helps us to focus on the empty tomb. And just like the the angels said to the ladies who were there, He said, he's not here. He has risen just as he said. Lord, give us eyes of faith to believe what you say. Even when it calls us to walk a path that we've never walked or walk a path we don't want to, help us through eyes of faith to follow Jesus because he is alive and living and he still lives in the hearts of men and women today. Lord God, if if there's someone listening this morning that has never surrendered, they have never 
chosen to serve you, put their faith in you, Lord, I pray that today would be the day. That the day that Christ raised from the dead would also be the day that they are raised from death into new life. Lord, what a, what a joy it is to serve a risen Savior. In His name we pray. Amen.